Book Eleven, Part Three of Ovid's Metamorphoses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Goldfarb. Metamorphoses by Publius Ovidius Naso, translated by Brooks Moore. Book Eleven, Part Three. King Caix, disturbed by his loved brother's fate and prodigies which happened since that time, prepared to venture to the clarion god that he might there consult the oracle so sanctified to the consolation of distress, for then the way to Delphi was unsafe because of Forbus and his Phlegians. Before he went he told his faithful queen, his dear Halcyone. She felt at once terror creep through the marrow of her bones. Pallor of boxwood overspread her face, and her two cheeks were wet with gushing tears. Three times she tried to speak, while tears and sobs delayed her voice, until at last she said, "'What fault of mine, my dearest, has so changed your usual thoughts? Where is the care for me that always has stood first? Can you leave me for this long journey with no anxious fear, Halcyone, forsaken in these halls?' Will this long journey be a pleasant change, because far from you I should be more dear? Perhaps you think you will go there by land, and I shall only grieve, and shall not fear the sea affrights me with its tragic face. Just lately I observed some broken planks upon our seashore, and I've read and read the names of seamen on their empty tombs. Oh, let no false assurance fill your mind, because your father-in-law is Aeolus, who in a dungeon shuts the stormful winds and smooths at will the troubled ocean waves. Soon as the winds get freedom from his power, they take entire possession of the deep, and nothing is forbidden their attack, and all the rights of every land and sea are disregarded by them. They insult even the clouds of heaven, and their wild concussions urge the lightnings to strike fires. The more I know of them, for I knew them in my childhood, and I often saw them from my father's home, the more I fear— but, oh, dear husband, if this new resolve cannot be altered by my prayers and fears, and if you are determined, take me too. Some comfort may be gained, if in the storms we may be tossed together. I shall fear only the ills that really come to us. Together we can certainly endure discomforts till we gain that distant land. Such words and tears of the daughter of Aeolus gave Caix, famed son of the morning star, much thought and sorrow for the flame of love burned in his heart as strongly as in hers. Reluctant to give up the voyage, even more to make Halcyone his partner on the dangerous sea, he answered her complaints in many ways to pacify her breast, but could not comfort her until at last he said, "'This separation from your love will be most sorrowful, and so I swear to you, as witnessed by the sacred fire of my star-father, if the fates permit my safe return, I will come back to you before the moon has rounded twice her orb. These promises gave hope of his return. Without delay he ordered a ship should be drawn forth from the dock, launched in the sea, and properly supplied against the needs of travel. Seeing this, Halcyone, as if aware of future woe, shuddered, wept, and embraced him, and in extreme woe said with a sad voice, Ah, farewell, and then her nerveless body sank down to the ground. While Caix longed for some pretext to delay, the youthful oarsmen, chosen for their strength, in double rows began to draw the oars back towards their hardy breasts, cutting the waves with equal strokes. She raised her weeping eyes and saw her husband on the high-curved stern. He, by his waving hand, made signs to her, and she returned his signals. 
Then the ship moved farther from the shore until her eyes could not distinguish his loved countenance. Still, while she could, she followed with her gaze the fading hull, and when that too was lost far in the distance, she remained and gazed at the white topsails waving from the mast. But when she could no longer see the sails, with anxious heart she sought her lonely couch and laid herself upon it couch and room renewed her sorrow and remind her how much of life was absent on the sea the ship had left the harbour and the breeze shook the taut rigging now the captain bade the idle oars be drawn up to the sides they ran the pointed sail-yards up the mast and with a spread canvas caught the coming breeze perhaps the ship had not sailed half her course on every side the land was out of sight in fact in a great distance when towards dark the sea grew white with its increasing waves while boisterous east winds blew with violence prompt in his duty the captain warns the crew lower the topsails quick furl all the sails tight to the yards he ordered but the storm bore all his words away his voice could not be heard above the roaring of the sea but of their own accord some sailors rushed to draw the oars in, others to secure the sides from danger, and some strove to pull the sails down from the wind. One pumps the waves up from the hold and pours the rushing sea again into the sea, another takes the yards off. While such things are being done without command or order, the wild storm increases, and on every side fierce winds wage a destructive warfare which stirs up the furious waters to their utmost power. Even the captain, terrified, confessed he did not know the status of the ship and could not order nor forbid the men, so great the storm, so far beyond his skill. Then he gave up control, while frightened men shouted above the rattled cordage shocks, and heavy waves were dashed against huge waves, and all the sky reverberated with terrific thunders the deep sea upturned tremendous billows which appeared to reach so near the heaven they touched the heavy clouds with foam of their tossed waters at one time while the great billows churned up yellow sand from off the bottom the wild rolling waves were of that colour at another time they were more black than the water of the sticks sometimes they levelled white with lashing foam the ship was tossed about in the wild storm, aloft as if from a mountain peak it seemed to look down on the valley and the depth of Acheron, and when sunk down in a trough of waves engulfing it appeared to look up at the zenith from infernal seas. Often the waves fell on the sides with crash as terrible as when a flying stone or iron ram shatters a citadel as lions mustering up their strength anew might hurl their breasts against the spears and outstretched arms of huntsmen so the waves upon the rising of the winds rushed forth against the battered sides of the tossed ship and rose much higher than the slanting masts the ship bolts lost their grip the loosened planks despoiled of covering wax gave open seams through which streamed water of the fatal waves vast sheets of rain pour from dissolving clouds so suddenly it seemed that all the heavens were flung into the deep while swelling seas ascended to the emptied fields of heaven the sails are drenched with rain the salt sea waves are mingled with the waters of the skies the firmament is black without a star and night is doubly dark with its own gloom and blackness of the storm quick lightning makes the black skies glitter and the waves are fired with flames of thunderbolts now floods leap up into the very middle of the ship just as a soldier more courageous than the rest of his brave fellows after he has often charged against the embattled walls of a defended city gains at length the place which he has fought for all inflamed with his desire of glory scales the wall and stands alone among a thousand foes 
so when destructive waves have beat against the ship's high sides the tenth wave with known power rushes more furious than the nine before nor ceases to attack the failing ship until dashed high above the captured walls it surges in the hold part of the sea is still attempting to get in the ship and part is in it all are panic-stricken like men within a doomed and shaken town who see some foes attack the walls without and others hold possession of the walls within the city every art has failed their courage sinks with every coming wave another death seems rushing in upon them one sailor yields in tears another falls down stupefied another calls those blessed whom funeral rites await another prays addressing trusted gods lifting his hands up to that heaven unseen as vainly he implores some aid divine and one in fright recalls his brothers and his parent while another names his children and his home each frightened sailor thinks of all he left king caix thinks only of halcyone no other name is on his lips but hers and though he longs for her yet he is glad that she is safe at home ah how he tried to look back to the shore of his loved land to turn his last gaze towards his wife and home but he has lost direction the tossed sea is raging in a hurricane so vast and all the sky is hidden by the gloom of thickened storm clouds doubled in pitch black the mast is shattered by the violence of drenching tempests and the useless helm is broken one undaunted giant wave stands over wreck and spoil and looks down like a conqueror upon the other waves then falls as heavily as if some god should hurl mount athos or mount pindus torn from rock foundations into that wide sea so with downrushing weight and violence it struck and plunged the ship to the lowest deeps and as the ship sank many of the crew sank overwhelmed in deep surrounding waves never to rise from suffocating death but some in desperation clung for life to broken timbers and escaped that fate king caix clung to a fragment of the wreck with that majestic hand which often before had proudly swayed the sceptre and in vain alas he called upon his father's name alas he begged his father-in-law's support but while he swam, his lips most frequently pronounced that dearest name, Halcyone. He longs to have his body carried by waves to her dear gaze, and have at last entombment by the hands of his loved friends. Swimming he called Halcyone, far off, as often as the billows would allow his lips to open, and among the waves his darling's name was murmured, till at last a night-black arch of water swept above the highest waves and buried him beneath engulfing billows lucifer was dim past recognition when the dawn appeared and since he never could depart from heaven soon hid his grieving countenance in clouds meanwhile halcyone all unaware of his sad wreck counts off the passing nights and hastens to prepare for him his clothes that he may wear as soon as he returns to her and she is choosing what to wear herself and vainly promises his safe return all this indeed while she in hallowed prayer is giving frankincense to please the gods and first of loving adorations she paid at the shrine of juno there she prayed for caix after he had suffered death that he might journey safely and return and might love her above all other women this one last prayer alone was granted to her but juno could not long accept as hers these supplications on behalf of one then dead and that she might persuade halcyone to turn her death-polluted hands away from hallowed altars juno said in haste 
o iris best of all my messengers go quickly to the dreadful court of sleep and in my name command him to dispatch a dream in the shape of caix who is dead and tell halcyone the woeful truth so she commanded iris instantly assumed a garment of a thousand tints and as she marked the high skies with her arch went swiftly thence as ordered to the place where sleep was then concealed beneath a rock near the cimmerian land there is a cave with a long entrance in a hallowed mountain the home of slothful sleep to that dark cave the sun when rising or in middle skies or setting never can approach with light there dense fogs mingled with the dark exhale darkness from the black soil and all that place is shadowed in a deep mysterious gloom no wakeful bird with visage crested high calls forth the morning's beauty in clear notes nor do the watchful dogs more watchful geese nor wild beasts cattle nor the waving trees make sound or whisper and the human voice is never heard there silent rest is there but from the bottom of a rock beneath lethean waters of a stream ooze forth sounds of a rivulet which trickle with soft murmuring amid the pebbles and invite soft sleep before the cavern doors most fertile poppies and a wealth of herbs bloom in abundance from the juice of which the humid night hours gather sleep and spread it over darkened earth no door is in that cavern home, and not a hinge's noise, nor guarding porter's voice disturbs the calm. But in the middle is a resting couch, raised high on night-black ebony, and soft with feathered cushions all jet-black, concealed by a rich coverlet as dark as night on which the god of sleep, dissolved in sloth, lies with unmoving limbs. Around him there in all directions unsubstantial dreams recline in imitation of all shapes, as many as the uncounted ears of corn at harvest as the myriad leaves of trees or tiny sand grains spread upon the shore as soon as iris entered that dread gloom she pushed aside the visions in her way with her fair glowing hands and instantly that sacred cavern of the god of sleep was all illuminated with the glow and splendor of her garment out of himself the god with difficulty lifted up his languid eyes from this small sign of life relapsing many times to languid sloth while nodding with his chin he struck his breast again and again at last he roused himself from gloom and slumber and while raised upon his elbow he inquired of iris why she came to him he knew her by her name she answered him o sleep divine repose of all things gentlest of the deities peace to the troubled mind from which you drive the cares of life restorer of men's strength when wearied by the toils of day command a vision that shall seem the actual form of royal caix to visit trachin famed for hercules and tell halcyone his death by shipwreck it is juno's wish iris departed after this was said for she no longer could endure the effect of slumber vapour and as soon as she knew sleep was creeping over her tired limbs she flew from there and she departed by the rainbow over which she came before out of the multitude his thousand sons the god of sleep raised morpheus by his power most skilful of his sons who had the art of imitating any human shape and dexterously could imitate in men the gait and countenance and every mode of speaking he could simulate the dress and customary words of any man he chose to represent but he could not assume the form of anything but man such was his art 
another of sleep's sons could imitate all kinds of animals such as a wild beast or a flying bird or even a serpent with its twisted shape and that son by the gods above was called ikelos but the inhabitants of earth called him phobator and a third son named phantasos cleverly could change himself into the forms of earth that have no life into a statue water or a tree it was the habit of these three to show themselves at night to kings and generals and other sons would frequently appear among the people of the common class all such the aged god of sleep passed by selecting only morpheus from among the many brothers to accomplish this and execute what iris had desired and after all that work he dropped his head and sank again in languid drowsiness shrinking to sloth within his lofty couch morpheus at once flew through night of darkness on his wings that make no sound and in brief space of intervening time arrived at the hymonian city of walls and there he laid aside his wings and took the face and form of caix in that form as one deprived of life devoid of clothes wan and ghastly he stood beside the bed of the sad wife the hero's beard seemed dripping sea-water streamed down from his drenching hair then leaning on the bed while dropping tears were running down his cheeks he said these words most wretched wife can you still recognize your own loved caix or have my looks changed so much with death you cannot look at me and you will be assured i am your own but here instead of your dear husband you will find only his ghost your faithful prayers did not avail halcyone and i have perished give up all deluding hopes of my return the stormy south wind caught my ship while sailing the aegean sea and there tossed by the mighty wind my ship was dashed to pieces while i vainly called upon your name the angry waters closed above my drowning head and it is no uncertain messenger that tells you this and nothing from vague rumours has been told but it is i myself come from the wreck now telling you my fate come then arise shed tears and put on mourning do not send me unlamented down to tartarus and morpheus added to these words a voice which she would certainly believe was her beloved husband's and he seemed to be shedding fond human tears and even his hands were moved in gestures that caix often used halcyone shed tears and groaned aloud and as she moved her arms and caught at his dear body she embraced the vacant air she cried out loudly stay oh stay with me why do you hurry from me we will go together agitated by her own excited voice and by what seemed to be her own dear husband she awoke from sleep and first looked all about her to persuade herself that he whom she had lately seen must yet be with her for she had aroused the servants who in haste brought lights desired when she could find him nowhere in despair she struck her face and tore her garment from her breast and beat her breast with mourning hands she did not wait to loosen her long hair but tore it with her hands and to her nurse who asked the cause of her wild grief she cried alas halcyone is no more no more with her own caix she is dead is dead away with words of comfort he is lost by shipwreck i have seen him and i knew him surely as a ghost he came to me and when desirous to detain him i stretched forth my arms to him his ghost left me it vanished from me but it surely was the ghost of my dead husband if you ask description of it i must truly say he did not have his well-known features he was not so cheerful as he was in life 
alas i saw him pale and naked with his hair still dripping his ghost from the waves stood on this very spot and while she moaned she sought his footprints on the floor alas this was my fear this is what my mind shuddered to think of when i begged that you would not desert me for the wind's control but how i wish since you were sailing forth to perish that you had but taken me with you if i had gone with you it would have been advantage to me for i should have shared the whole course of my life with you and you would not have met a separate death i linger here but i have met my death i toss on waves and adrift upon the sea my heart would be more cruel than the waves if it should ask me to endure this life if i should struggle to survive such grief i will not strive nor leave you sore forlorn at least i'll follow you to death if not the urn at least the lettered stone shall keep us still together if your bones are not united with my bones tis sure our names must be united overcome with grief she could not say another word but she continued wailing and her groans were heaved up from her sorrow-stricken breast at early dawn she went from her abode down to the seashore where most wretchedly she stood upon the spot from which he sailed and sadly said he lingered here while he was loosening the cables and kissed me on this seashore when he left me here and while she called to recollection all that she had seen when standing there and while she looked far out on flowing waves from there she noticed floating on the distant sea what shall i say at first even she could not be sure of what she saw but presently although still distant it was certainly a floating corpse she could not see what man he might be but because it seemed to her it surely was a shipwrecked body she was moved as at an omen and began to weep and moaning as she stood there said ah wretched one whoever it may be ah wretched is the wife whom you have left as driven by the waves the body came still nearer to her she was less and less the mistress of herself the more she looked upon it and when it was close enough for her to see its features she beheld her husband it is he she cried and then she tore her face her hair her royal robe and then extending both her trembling hands towards caix so dearest one so do you come to me again she cried o oh, luckless mate a mole made by the craft of man adjoins the sea and breaks the shoreward rush of waves to this she leaped it seemed impossible and then while beating the light air with wings that instant formed upon her she flew on a morning bird and skimmed above the waves and while she lightly flew across the sea her clacking mouth with its long slender bill full of complaining uttered moaning sounds but when she touched the still and pallid form embracing his dear limbs with her new wings she gave cold kisses with her hardened bill all those who saw it doubted whether caix could feel her kisses and it seemed to them the moving waves had raised his countenance but he was truly conscious of her grief and through the pity of the gods above at last they both were changed to flying birds together in their fate their love lived on nor in these birds were marriage bonds dissolved and they soon coupled and were parent birds each winter during seven full days of calm halcyone broods on her floating nest her nest that sails upon a halcyon sea the passage of the deep is free from storms throughout those seven full days and aeolus restraining harmful winds within their cave for his descendants sake gives halcyon seas an old man saw the two birds fly across the wide extended sea and praised their love undying to the end 
his old friend who stood near him said there is another bird which you can see skimming above the waves with folded legs drawn up and as he spoke he pointed at a dive dapper which had a long throat and continued it was the first son of a great king as caix was and if you wish to know his ancestry i can assure you he descended from ilus asaracus and ganymede taken by jupiter and old laomedon and priam ruler at the fall of troy isacus was the brother of the great illustrious hector and if he had not been victimized by a strange fate in youth he would have equalled hector's glorious fame hector was child of hecuba who was daughter of demas alexiroe the daughter of the two-horned granicus so rumour has it secretly brought forth isacus hidden under ida's shade he loathed the city and away from court frequented lonely mountains and the fields of unambitious peasants rarely he was seen among the throngs of ilium yet neither churlish nor impregnable to love's appeal he saw hesperia the daughter of cebrenus while she was once resting on the velvet-shaded banks of her sire's cherished stream isacus had so often sought for her through the woods just when he saw her while she rested there her hair spread on her shoulders to the sun she saw him and without delay she fled even as the frightened deer runs from the wolf or as the water-duck when she has left her favoured stream surprised flies from the hawk isacus followed her as swift with love as she was swift with fear but in the grass a lurking snake struck at her rosy heel and left its venom in her flesh and so her flight was ended by untimely death oh frantic he embraced her breathless form and cried alas alas that i pursued i did not dream of such a dreadful fate success was not worth such a price i and the snake together caused your death the serpent gave the wound i was the cause mine is the greater guilt and by my death i'll give you consolation for your death he said those words and leaped on a high rock which years of sounding waves had undermined and hurled himself into the sea below Tethys was moved with pity for his fall, and received him softly, and then covered him with feathers as he swam among the waves. The death he sought for was not granted him. At this the lover was wroth. Against his will he was obliged to live in his distress, with opposition to his spirit that desired departure from the wretched pain of life. As he assumed upon his shoulders wings new-formed, he flew aloft, and from that height again he plunged his body in the waves. His feathers broke all danger of that fall, and this new bird, Isacus, plunged headlong into the deep, and tried incessantly that method of destruction. His great love, unsatisfied, made his sad body lean, till even the spaces fixed between the joints of his legs have grown long. His neck is long, so that his head is far away from his lean body. Still he hunts the sea and takes his name from diving in the waves. End of Book 11, Part 3 Recording by David Goldfarb, Houston, Texas